This is the Danger Close Podcast, Beyond the Books, with me, Jack Carr. Welcome to the Danger Close Podcast, an ironclad original, presented by Six Hour. My guest today is retired Brigadier General Tony Tata. We recorded this conversation back in November of 2019 at an author's conference called VoucherCon in Dallas. And that's back when I was trying to do this all by myself. So the video ran out 10 minutes into it. So this is an audio only podcast and we are releasing it as a bonus episode. So these will be coming out on Fridays. And these are the episodes that I recorded before Ironclad came in and professionalized this particular operation. So uh, Tony's latest book is called Chasing the Lion and it came out on June 1st, 2021. So pick up the book and now Without further ado, Tony Tata. I'm here with uh, Tony Tata. And, and I'm here you. with Jack Carr. Hey, awesome. thank you so much yeah. for being here today. We're at BoucherCon, which is a, uh, how do you describe it? It's a uh, uh, mystery, thriller, suspense book conference that's based around both authors and, and fans. Yeah, right. And, and the thing I love about this, Jack, is that the, there are more fans here than at some of the other traditional things like Thriller Fest, which is an awesome conference in its own right, but that's got more industry and aspiring authors. Right. And this is more aspiring authors and, and fans. And right. So you have super long lines of people when you're doing your book signings and, and it's a lot of fun to interact with the people who love your work. Right, right. That's better than having one person in line or no one in line. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've been there. We've probably <laughs> oh, both been there. Right. Yeah, one of my yeah. first uh, book signings that... Uh, Obviously, I'm still relatively new to this, but uh, one of the ones at uh, a Barnes and Noble, uh, right off the bat, I showed up and it was a nightmare scenario. No one. <laughs> well, that's that's when they bring out like, you know, you've been there an hour and they'll bring out some some brownies and some <laughs> you know and all of that, and then somebody will come up to you. And you'll say, okay, here's my first fan. And then they say, how much for the brownies? Exactly. Exactly. That's kind of what happened. A homeless person wandered in. <laughs> right. And uh, we started talking and ended up uh, chatting with her for a long time, actually, yeah. and yeah. Uh, bought her a coffee and a little pastry. And we just talked for a while. And yeah. she had a very fascinating story and um, you know, gave her a book on the way out and all that. But the point is, is that every reader matters. And so I'm sure you've had some with, you know, 100 people. Right, and most of them have been like that was that was definitely a one-off. Yeah, right. But you know, the the uh, you know, I've had them where you've had two or three people show up, and I do the same talk that if I have two hundred, sure. I I did uh, double crossfire just released um, this week, and so my brother always holds a, a hometown book release party for me in Virginia Beach, nice. and um, so and there were a bunch of Navy guys there, and and. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll have a hundred, 120 people there and that's great. And sell a couple hundred books. Same time I've had two, three people and I give the same talk. Absolutely. You know, and it's every reader matters. There we go. Absolutely. Yeah. And before we get into, to your background, which is, is, um, fascinating. Um, did you do three books this year or am I, or, or two? two? You did two. two. Yeah. Okay. It feels like three. Yeah. I probably wrote three, but, uh, so um, but, uh, you know, I, I co-author a series with Nick Irving, the yeah. special forces, army ranger sniper, yep. um, from, uh, um, ranger bat, third bat. And, uh, we do the Reaper series. That was his nickname in yep. real life. And then we fictionalized his character and, and, uh, we, we co-author those books. That's a May release and my okay. Kensington book release month is November, the okay. last week of October. So I have a spring book and a fall book, which is a great setup. You know, one before Memorial day, one before veterans day is how, um, the, the publishers. Okay. Got and, it. but it always feels like, as you know, you're on that writing cycle every six months, you're turning something in. And then when you're in the middle of the next one, you get the edits and the galley proof and all of that. And you have to unplug, yeah. re re plug into the character that, you know, from whichever right. book it is. And that's a month of time right there because to do it right and, and not shortchange your readers. Uh, for me, I, I have to, completely get back into the character. Sure. I can't, I can't work a little here, work a little here. It's very sequential for me. Yep. No, I've just found that with this third one. Uh, I thought that I was going to be writing the fourth while I edit the third. Right. And that's not the case. It's only editing the third. I'm about to put that one to bed here right. by Monday. And then, uh, then it's a full shift to book four. Yeah. It's like bandwidth, you know, it frees up bandwidth. It, you know, they're, your, my, my mind can only handle so much 
creative bandwidth. Right. And, and if I'm going to do it right, I, I have to disconnect, put it aside, pull up the new document and, and right. work on that. Oh, I'm, do you work in uh, Scrivener or Word or what do you use? Word. You work in Word? I, you okay. know, I've tried Scrivener. I'm probably going to migrate to that. Okay. But every time I say I'm going to do it, I'm in the middle of a book and I'm like, <laughs> I don't want to spend right. a month learning this new software. So yeah. and it's probably not hard, but you know, I'm technologically challenged. Oh, I, I believe me, I understand. Yeah. But uh, I, it helps. So I the first book that I've done on Scrivener was this third one. And I wa- took the two hours it took to watch all the videos that okay. they have on their website. Sure. So it's well worth turning everything off, lo- watching those videos, and then making note of the ones that are most pertinent to what right. you're doing. Because right. you can do a lot of things, right. but the ones that are most pertinent to what you're doing, kind of mark those. So you can go back and find them quickly if you need to do a quick refresher. Right. But uh, I'm a big fan. I'm, I'm going to so, do all So it's Scrivener. an improvement over Oh yeah. yeah. Being able to hit a button and see them go up on a cork board. So you can drag and drop chapters. If you're like, Oh, this really needs to go oh, really? uh, okay. in chapter three rather than five. We need, right. to, we need to meet these characters earlier instead of copying and pasting and then going right. back to delete and all that. You can just drag it and drop it and you can have a little bit of uh, synopsis per each chapter on all of those. So it doesn't just say like chapter one, but it has oh, a little bit, okay. it either has the first sentence, a default, or you can put a little something in there like, you know, so-and-so meets so-and-so or whatever it is. Well, I will, I will make that transition. I bought it. I've nice. got it. And I'm just in a three point stance ready to do it nice. when, when, yeah. when I get some time. I'm a big fan. But when, then when I send it to my editor, she reads everything in word. So I export it to word, which is also very easy. Just touch yeah. of a button. And then all the edits have been done in word, but so it's just that official, yeah, okay. uh, that first part's all in Scrivener. And then I go to work. Yeah, I have several friends that swear by it. So yeah, uh, it's, Somebody, uh, Mindy Mejia, who writes uh, writes novels and um, is uh, is with Atria. Also, she uh, said, "You're not using Scrivener. Are you kidding me? You've got to do it." So, right. I, when she was that adamant about it, I made the switch for this uh, this third novel. Yeah, great. Well, so you've convinced me. Yeah, all right, let's do it for book fourteen. <laughs> I'll make the switch. So. Awesome. And then, yeah, before we go go back, because I'm fascinated by your uh, your history and your background and how you got here. Um, but uh, what you when did you start writing these? How many books do you have out? Both. Uh, co-authored and ones by your own how, like you have a lot of them out I, there. I have 12 books on the market you know this week uh 13 i turned in a couple of months ago to a uh, mark uh, resnick at sam wow. martin's and and uh i've signed a new contract with sam martin's for, for my own um books uh, just solo author and we'll probably keep the reaper yeah. going too so that'll probably awesome. be two a year that's a lot and, though two a year like i can barely yeah. handle the one i can't yeah. imagine no, it, it, it's a challenge it's a challenge particularly you know because there are other things going life too so uh but uh the so that'll be i've signed the contract for book 14 and i'm actively writing that now so i i had uh so i've been writing ever since i've wanted to be an author ever since i was a kid my dad was a high school football coach and i'll never forget we're standing in the front yard i'm 11 or 12 and he says so kid what do you want to be when you grow up that quintessential uh, question and i said i want to write fiction novels and he's an italian son of italian immigrants yeah and he says, you know, you got to put food on the table. And, and, uh, you know, so of course that meant in his mind, getting a good government job. And, <laughs> and, right. and my mom was a guidance counselor. He was a high school football coach. And, uh, so my brother goes to the Naval Academy. Um, I, I, I get, uh, my mom brings in this blank sheet of paper. It looked like, and it covered all the dives. She said, you know, Bones, that was my nickname. And as a kid, <laughs> Bones, just sign here. So I signed, it was my West Point application. Wow. And my brother and I later compared notes that we both had the same experience where mom typed up our Naval Academy and West Point applications. And, and, um, you know, we were pretty good athletes. He played football. I played baseball and wrestled. And then my sister, she was the best athlete in the family. She ran a 443 mile and back in, you know, the 19, 1980. And, um, so I can remember my sophomore year at West Point, I'm, I'm, uh, coming back from uh, baseball practice and, and I get this little yellow buck slip as it was called back then handed to me and says, call your sister. Uh, so I call home. This was a day of phone booths and collect calls. And so I'd slide my quarter in, make the collect call. My dad answers. And his first question was always, whenever I called, you know, he's a football coach. Are you still there? And so, you know, thinking that I was trying to escape all the time from West Point, uh, I, you know, and they, they had been there and I guess they imagined it was this, you know, hermetically sealed environment right. that was, you know, impossible, like a prison. Yeah. Uh, hey, which, not far uh, from the truth. <laughs> not far from there. the truth. And, 
and so uh, I said, yes, Dad, I'm still here. He says, well, what do you want? As if there could not be any other business. I said, well, you know, Kendall, my sister, asked me to call. And it's like, what does she want? Yeah, I'm like, I don't know. Put her on. And she runs upstairs, grabs the phone, and she's weeping, bawling. And saying, Dad's trying to make me join the Air Force. I'm like, you're a, you're a nationally ranked miler. You're, you've got a bid to the Olympic trials. What, why would he want you to join the Air Force? which has a very specific connotation in my mind is, you know, you're going to go to college on a, on a track scholarship. She goes, I don't know. It's something out in Colorado. And I'm like, Oh, he's going for the hat trick. Naval Academy, yeah, yeah. West Point air force Academy. Right. I said, put dad back on the phone. And you know, I was in the second class that had mixed gender okay. at West Point, 1981, 79 was the last all male class, okay. which was my brother's class at Navy. And I said to dad, I said, look, it's going to be okay eventually. It's not okay now. I mean, I, I haven't seen uh, when I was in high school this kind of treatment of women before. Yeah. And um, not that it was, you know, pervasive, but there, there were incidents and, and there was a resistance to that change. And I said, you don't want your daughter. I don't want my sister sort of mixed up in this right now. Yeah. Kendall's, a, a, you know, a, a sensitive soul in, in, in many ways. And so... She ended up getting a full ride track scholarship to the University of Virginia, where my father played football and baseball. Oh, so, no way. So it all worked out. Yeah, it all worked out perfectly. So, nice. But well, um, I'll tell you what, I love West Point, and I know I didn't go there, so it's very easy for me to go in and admire the architecture and the history <laughs> and all that stuff and see how they feed all you guys right. in that crazy amount of time. Yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, insane. Yeah, I was invited up there in uh, January of 2005, I think it was, um, to talk about the operation to retake Najaf from right. Al Sauter's uh, right, militia right. in the summer of 2004. Right. So I took a sniper team in there, and it was really one of the, I think one of the first times where special operations snipers had shown up, and I just went to the battalion commander, Colonel Rainey at the time, from 27 mm -hmm. Cav, and, and said, hey, I'm here to help. Here's what we have. Here's what we bring to the table with our sniper weapons platforms. Uh, here's how we can control aircraft with right. all the, all the JTACs I have, and uh, how can we help? Right. And it was an amazing two-week campaign to retake that city. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I got, came, came back, and somehow they invited me to come up there and speak to the, the Corps of Cadets in what is yeah. it, is it Eisenhower Hall? Is that yeah, the big yeah, one? Yeah. Uh -huh. So right. went in there and, and uh, talked to them about uh, special operations in support of conventional Army units and you know, what, what lay in store for them probably a couple of years from now, liaising with uh, other elements that weren't just Army but had, were made up of Marines and Navy and Air Force and everybody else, all these other government agencies that are coming, into the, coming to help win this thing. So, so it was an amazing experience. Well, you guys did a great job. And now I can say that Elton John and Jack Carr packed Eisenhower <laughs> Hall. Because yes. I, I, saw, I saw Elton John at Eisenhower <laughs> no Hall way. when I was a, it was brand new. It was like a couple of years old when I was a plebe there. No freshman. kidding. Yeah. And Elton John came through there. That's, oh, that's where, amazing. that's the only place you're allowed to drink beer on, you know, in the, in the lower part. Okay. And then it's the, the performing arts thing and it can hold like 4,000, 5,000. Can you still drink there? I don't know. Yeah, uh, I, I don't you know, know I, I haven't really been back too much. <laughs> we, we, we say it's a great place to be from. Not <laughs> right. At, I yes. totally get it. Yeah. No, you've had sufficient. Yeah. And what else was amazing about that place was the. It might be within the. I think they expanded security wise out um, since I was there in 2004. But uh, that museum that used to be right outside the mm -hmm. gate there. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's inside or outside. It's I outside. Forget, right it, outside. It used to be a, a women's college called Lady Cliff. Oh, really? Yeah. That place was amazing. All the, the dioramas they had of yeah. all these battles from like essentially the beginning of time up to today. I went in there and just wandered around for hours and it was incredible. Yeah, that was uh, kind of a, you know, the girlfriend um, factory, you know, that, that women were right outside the gate. We couldn't get to them. You know, it was all this mystique around yeah. it. it. It was it was a fun um, uh, time because, you know, we do mixers and of course, right. we, you know, obviously it was very respectful and all that, but it, it was you know, there were two or three women's colleges that were in that area that, you know, they'd bus them in and we'd do the mixer in Eisenhower yeah. Hall and, and, uh, you know, it was all, all very prim and proper. And nice. it, it, you know, you take your cadetic classes. As uh, nice. Yep. But, so, and gentlemen. Yeah. So anyway, um, the, you know, my dad asked me that and I, I ended up uh, going to West Point to play baseball and wrestle. And, um, but I, I had always had this burning desire to write. Um, and create. I always felt like, you know, I took the AP English and literature classes in high school and all that. And I can remember at West Point, I was just talking to, I ran into a friend of mine. I was getting a haircut in DC before I came out here. And I, you know, this guy's calling out my name. I'm in the barber chair and 
you know, it's a guy I hadn't seen in 40 years from West Point. Wow. John Wilhelm would live right down the hall from me. He's like, you know, we talk afterwards. He's like, I never knew you had this like whole creative side to you. I'm like, John, yeah, I used to, I've got the spiral round notebooks where I used to start handwrite these stories, these characters. I ended up later using um, as I was, you know, I wrote a book. Now, I've got a book unpublished that I've never even tried to get published called The Last Gamble. And it's about a Heisman Trophy uh, running back at West Point that gets caught in a mob point shaving scheme. And, you know. It sounds fantastic. Yeah, it does, right? And so I just haven't done anything with it. And, you know, eventually when I'm, when I'm not doing two books a year, I might dust that thing off and tighten it up and amazing get it out there. Yeah, I get some of that too because I didn't really talk about this while I was in the military. I knew I was always going to write afterward. Right. Right. But while I was in, I was solely focused on the task at hand. Sure. But, uh, you know, like my parents knew what I wanted to do and people that knew me for my whole life knew that I was going to do this. And I knew, but while I was in, it was still... I was doing things also that ended up helping in this uh, next right. profession and that I was studying warfare, terrorism, insurgencies, all that stuff, and then actually going down and being a practitioner of these things. Right. And uh, so all that's kind of woven its way into the the, uh, the the fabric of the novels. So it actually right. helped out. But same way, I wanted I knew I wanted to serve my country in uniform and wanted to write fiction right. in this genre. Yeah. And, uh, uh, well, you do an exceptional job. Oh, thank you. Thank you. As you, I mean, amazing. Amazing that you've, amazing that you've done so many books. And, I mean, it's a fairly short amount of time you've done that yeah, many novels. Yeah, that's... that's uh, when you know, was the first one published? The first one's, uh, so my threat series, it's an interesting story because we both have a very common link in yes. this business. Yeah. And uh, it's Brad Thor. Yep. And um, so I was, um, the genesis of, of that was, I had, I had, by this time, while, you know, I'd be home at, you know, I was at command and general staff college or whatever, you know, when I was a young captain or major, I'd be writing on now, back then it was, you know, word perfect and, and all, <laughs> you know, all of that, if you can remember oh, all that, thank God it would it translate <laughs> over to word. But, um, the, the, um, I, I was in Bosnia in, uh, 1995 and 96, and I, I was in the 82nd Airborne. But I got specially tasked to come over because I'd planned some other um, invasions of small countries. And, and um, the four-star uh, U.S. Army Europe commander asked for me to come over and assist him in planning the intervention in Bosnia. And there was a Delta team attached to the security of this guy as, as we went into Sarajevo. And I, I used to go everywhere with this four-star. I was walking on one side. And a guy named Rob Hobart was walking on the other side of him. And um, it, Rob was a Delta Force guy, uh, former Green Beret, and not, then at the time a Delta operator. And Rob and I became very good friends. You can imagine we're there for a year in that kind of environment and we're responsible for the general. He was more talking to me and making sure that I was inside his head as we were walking to different places in Sarajevo and elsewhere. And Rob was, of course, looking for snipers, and keeping us away from right. IEDs and all that. But we would always level up afterward. And so I was taking battalion command after that in the 82nd at Fort Bragg. And Rob had rotated back a couple months before. And so when I get to Fort Bragg to take command, my, my quarters are not prepared on Fort Bragg. Somebody was living in them. And it was going to be a couple of months. And so Rob says, why don't you just stay with Patty and me? And so I do that. And, um, in his guest room, he had, you know, this is 1997, March of 1997. He had one of these old IBM or back then new IBM computers. That's, you know, like this big uh -huh. and floppy disk, three and a half inch drive yeah, yeah. Um, kind of thing. And so I had rogue threat on floppy disk cause I was working on it, you know, part of my disconnect and building resiliency and all that after working 18 hours. And if I had time, I would open up uh, a computer and, you know, write for an hour and so, you know, escape into that fictional right. world to just decompress and, sure. and dealing with all the things that guys like you and I deal with, then coming back and, you know, playing make-believe. It's like playing a video game, but, you know, it's, you're creating entertainment instead of consuming it. Right. And, and so, you know, what, what I, I, I saved, the floppy disk was going bad. And so I saved Rogue Threat number two in the threat series. I'd already written Sudden Threat, had nothing published at this time, and, but had gotten great feedback from agents and editors and that kind of thing who had looked at it. So I was motivated to continue, and it was just something I wanted to do. So I, I saved to Rob's hard drive 
uh, rogue threat because the floppy disk is going bad. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go get a new floppy disk. And so I go to the store, you know, a couple of days later, command, you know, takes over your life and, you know, I'm gone for a couple of days. I come back and I've got a brand new shrink wrap thing, a floppy disk slided in the computer. Rogue threat's not there. Oh. And I go to Rob, I'm like, Hey dude, um, did you delete anything? He goes, man, I found this virus called rogue threat on oh. my computer and I deleted that. Oh, and I'm like, my. did you put it in like a little cute trash bin that I can like go get it and retrieve it and save it? And he's like, man, I'm Delta Force. I'd smoke that puppy. Oh. And, and I'm like, okay. So I had, you're, t- you're very I, calm I, when you're telling this story I, I right had, now. Well, I had, um, about 240 pages written. I had added at the time I was at Rob's about 30 or 40. So I had a previous, I, I used to change floppy disks regularly and just save and preserve. Wow. It's kind of like Dropbox today. I hit Dropbox. Like Why every, didn't you just use the cloud? Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Auto um, save. And, and so Rob, of course, felt terrible. And, you know, I didn't lose, I, I lost the 30 pages, 40 pages Still. I'd written, but that's heavy yes. duty writing. Right. Uh-huh. Um, and, and so he, he, Rob felt terrible. And so one day, Rob, you know, Rob is retired. It's like 2005 or six. And, um, you know, he and I remain very close friends to this day. And he's on a um, United Airlines flight into Chicago where he and Patty had moved to, where he was, he was working for Boeing. And he's sitting next to this guy who's talking to him. And it's Brad Thor. And, and uh, you know, Brad, you know, getting... Hey, how are you out of Rob is like a great conversation. Yeah. He's just, you know, he's a stone cold killer. He doesn't talk a lot. And, and, uh, so Rob, uh, or, or Brad, um, you know, starts talking about Scott Harvath and his books and all of that light bulb goes off over Rob's head. I, I can erase my Catholic guilt here. And nice. he calls me and introduces me to Brad Thor. Oh, and great. And, and, the, and so we, I count, I came up, I have a Chicago connection as well. I come up, good friend of mine up there. The four of us go to dinner, Rob, this guy, Tom and Brad and I go to dinner and, um, you know, Brad's like, man, I'm going to help you. He takes my stuff. He sends this guy, Amazing. a small publisher, but you know, broke me in. And then after when my third book, Hidden Threat was sitting on the new release rack in Barnes and Noble an agent named Scott Miller from Trident Media Agency looks at it, looks at the cover. It's an awesome cover, um, takes a picture of it and sends me an email and says, Hey, I'd like to be your agent. So, so the moral of that to me, that story is relationships are everything in life because, you know, Rob was an enlisted guy. I was an offer, you know, it didn't matter, you know, that I was an officer and, and, you know, we were just friends and we'd been in, you know, pretty, pretty dangerous situation together for a year. Right. Yeah. So that's amazing. Yeah. It really forges that friendship. Yeah. And well, did, when you went to dinner with Brad that first time, did, uh, did he give you, was it like a job interview? Was he asking you questions like why you wanted to write and all that sort of thing? We just had fun. Okay. Right. We really just had fun. And he, he gave me a copy of, you know, uh, one of his early books and, um, I just really appreciated meeting him. Oh, yeah. And yeah, I mean, there was some discussion about, you know, what, and, and I, I said, you know, I'm sure you, you don't, uh, you know, want to invite competition you know, as if I was a threat to Brad Thor. Um, and he says, just the opposite. This genre needs more good thriller. Oh, writers. So great. And that's he's so great. That's his attitude. It's amazing. You know? Yeah. I Absolutely mean, he's amazing. the best. Yeah. I mean, he, he is the standard for, you know, if I ever get to be that big, I hope that I can help people oh, that's like great. me. That is so great. Yeah. It's, uh, when, uh, and I thought it was going to be the opposite leaving the military. I thought whatever I go into, it doesn't matter what it is. Uh, I'm going to be viewed as competition. Right. And yeah, exactly. People are going to keep me at arm's length. And, uh, what I found in this industry, it's exact opposite people. It was 180 out. Everyone has been so inviting, so kind, so generous. Yeah. And, and Brad, especially, I mean, he's the first person I talked to, right. uh, cause same thing, personal connection. He had sat next to a friend of mine right. who was in the SEAL teams who had gotten out and gotten into the world of finance. And they right. sat next to one another at a, uh, some of these fundraising events. And, uh, and that was a few years back. And then when I started writing this novel and started to get ready to leave the military, my friend reaches out and says, Hey, I heard you're writing a book and yeah, I'm getting ready to get, retire here. And, uh, he said, well, do you know who Brad Thor is? 
And I said, oh, yeah, <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've heard of him. And uh, he said, you want to talk to him? And I was like, really? Like, he would talk to me? Right. And uh, he said, yeah, let me set it up. So I uh, set up the call. And then that, that call, I remember, I was so nervous. I had my notepad and I was at an event in LA and I drove to the far corner of this parking lot and turned off the engine because I didn't want the sound. And then the sun was just beating down. I'm just sweating in this sweat box and waiting for this call. And we had a great conversation. He was amazing. Uh, but he wanted to know like, why I wanted to write. And I think, you know, some other books had come out, the nonfiction type stuff right, that was, right. was coming out, that sort of thing. And, you know, told the story about my mom being a librarian and being raised with this love of reading and yeah, writing sure, and being surrounded great. by books and always wanting to do it and mm -hmm. reading uh, Clancy and David Morrell and Nelson DeMille yeah, and sure. AJ Quinnell and Jesse Pollock and uh, Lou Lamore and all these guys, Mark Olden in the 80s that all, whose protagonists all had backgrounds that I wanted to have one right, day. Right, right. So, yeah. uh, you know, told him about all that and he was like, all right, uh, you know, if you actually write something, um, I will, uh, the least I can do, your friend told me some things you did in the SEAL teams and as a thank you for that, I'll uh, let my editor know that it's coming. Can't guarantee they'll read it. Definitely can't guarantee they'll like it, but um, I can I can do that for you. Yeah, and I was not, like, I mean, wow, amazing. And to take it to a different level, Brad, I was in uh, Baghdad one time, and I, I walk into the HQ, and there's this uh, private there reading a Brad Thor novel, and, you know, I'm crazy. I, I'm like, you know, he is the best guy, and, and uh, do you like the book? He's like, he's my favorite author. And so I text Brad, um, you know, and Brad immediately responds. I'm like, hey, I got this guy. And, you know, they, uh, you know, I call him. He talks to this guy. No and way. then he that's sends so him a signed book. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, that's the kind of guy yeah. Brad Thorne is. Yeah, no, amazing. I would not be where I am today. I would not, I mean, my family would not have this next chapter in life yeah. uh, without him. So yeah. I'll forever be grateful to him. He's, yeah, absolutely incredible. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. So, yeah, so we do have that. Uh, we do share yeah. that connection. Yeah. So thank you, Brad. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> appreciate it. Yeah. And so taking it back, after you get out of West Point, where do you go? And what did you, you have a track that you wanted and then you got that? Or did you want something and not get it? And what, what was that? What was the first few years like? Yeah. You so, I, you know, I, I um, signed up right away to be an infantry officer. That's what I wanted to be. I was an athlete all my you know, young life. And I, I, you know, my belief was the infantry were the, you know, the starting football team. And, you know, everybody else was sort of the coach or the H2O engineer or the, you know, whatever. And, and, um, so I wanted to be on the field as an infantryman and I wasn't really sure what I wanted. Um, I knew that I wanted to be in the 82nd airborne, maybe the 101st. So my first couple of assignments were not there because it's super competitive. And when I was able to get in the 82nd as a very young major, okay. um, I just switched on with all of that being nice. a paratrooper okay. and being at the nerve center for the army, at least, Fort Bragg is really the nerve center of the universe. Yeah. And, and so, you know, of course you got Delta there, you got 18th Airborne Corps, you have the 82nd, you have, you know, all of the support commands, you have yeah. special warfare uh, training, yeah. uh, Green Berets, uh, you know, you've got third group there. Um, you know, then, then uh, as I had repetitive assignments there, uh, when I came out for brigade command, cause I, I, I would have been happy just sort of staying at Fort Bragg the yeah. whole time. Uh, there were no 82nd Airborne Division brigades available. So I, I, um, I was a company commander at Fort Carson in the 4th Infantry Division. Before that, I was a platoon leader in the 25th Infantry Division in Hawaii okay. on the cutting edge of hey. freedom. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so bad. everybody looks at my early career like, <laughs> you were in Hawaii and you were in Fort Carson, Colorado Springs. Yeah, you were surfing bad. and skiing. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I did a little bit of that. That's so, not bad. Yeah. And, I, and I am a surfer. So nice. um, the... As I I wanted to go to the 82nd, so I I made sure that when I left sort of that early career school, that's where I I I went, and it was you know the realization of once I really figured out what I wanted to do as a young lieutenant and captain, I I knew that's what I wanted. Right. I, I didn't have um, that vision when I was in high school or or even at West Point. I really wasn't sure. I knew that I wanted to be on the cutting edge. I just didn't really understand where that might be and, as I learned. And so then to have commanded a battalion in the 82nd airborne and, you know, 800 paratroopers and then, um, a brigade in the 101st airborne. And I'm very, uh, fortunate. I feel that there were no 82nd brigades available because that, that compelled me to go to the 101st. Got it. Um, 
and they're two different kinds of units. They don't jump anymore except for the command group and the 101st. So the 82nd is all about strategic forcible entry. The 101st has this great tactical mobility okay. with all the helicopters. So in my command, I had 30 Blackhawk lift helicopters, 24 Apache attack helicopters, 10 Chinook cargo helicopters, wow. plus the usual assortment of three infantry battalions, support battalion, and a field artillery battalion. Wow. So it's this awesome four to 5,000 soldier combat team. That's a that, lot of people. Yeah, it's a lot of people, a lot of responsibility. I got to deploy with them to Kosovo where we did uh, you know, a peace enforcement mission. 9-11 happened uh, while we were in Kosovo and Macedonia wow. fighting a Muslim insurgency. Of, wow. Uh, and it was super interesting because... Uh, we, we had brokered a peace deal, uh, the national liberation army, the Albanian Muslims had, um, that had sort of started the Kosovo deal. It, it was always, you know, the guy that throws the second punch is usually the one that gets the flag in the football game. And that's, you know, you know, okay. where I'm going with this, you know, that the Albanians had sort of created a little bit of a ruckus in in Kosovo and then the Serbs completely overreacted bringing tank brigades in to crush that rebellion. It's not uh, unlike what's happening with the Turks and the Kurds now. Right. Very similar Albanians in the mountains, the Serb, Serbs in the lowlands and the metropolitan areas. And same thing happened here, you know, and it's that when the tanks came in, that second punch, that's when the America got upset of, of this, uh, you know, genocide and, and all that as, as, as we should, um, but we came in and we were very supportive of the Albanian Muslims and very anti-Serb. And my position always was they're both um, not good people. <laughs> and, and, and when I when I brought my brigade in there, they were um, crossing the border into Macedonia, the first democracy out of the former uh, republics of, of Yugoslavia. Okay. And, and so they were pressuring Skopje, the capital of Macedonia, and we had intel that they were you know, considering uh, doing, uh, you know, a Tet-style offensive throughout Skopje. And, you know, we have all kinds of Americans living in Macedonia. We, we, all of my equipment and helicopters were at the base, the airfield in, in Skopje and the airport, international airport. And so the Macedonian army was fighting these people in the mountains. You could stand at the airport and watch them. And so we brokered this peace deal and then 9-11 happens. And um, you know, during that, uh, Bush came over his first visit to foreign troops or, or to us troops in a foreign country, a combat zone, oh, wow. uh, was to, you know, my yeah. unit and Vince Brooks uh, was the other brigade commander there, our units. And, uh, so we, you know, nine 11 happens and this Muslim commander, commander Hoxha, H O X H A, um, reaches out through our Intel network and says, I need to meet with, you know, call me commander Tata. Um, uh, Colonel Tata at, um, uh, you know, the safe house. And so we came and we met and he, um, I said to him, you know, you need to, you know, uh, America has no appetite for terrorism right now. So you, you need to lay down your, the rest of your weapons. And he says, uh, you will not have a problem for me and my, and my soldiers. Um, uh, we, uh, they will all go to Afghanistan to fight America. And, and I'm like, well, yeah. that's not a good idea either because they're going to die rapidly. And, and, um, uh, so I, I sent up that, you know, the Intel report and I said, we need to be tracking, you know, jihad movement, wow. from, jihadi movement from, from, you know, the Balkans to, to Afghanistan and a, and a number of them went, but a lot of them kind of enjoyed the, yeah, it was a lot of local fighting and the locals fighting and there were, there were maybe a hundred migrant jihadis okay. uh, going back and forth. That's amazing. Yeah. And then did you go from there when that uh, tour was over, you came yeah. back and came back. And a couple of years later, I get promoted to Brigadier General and take over um, as a deputy commander of the 10th mountain division. And we go into Afghanistan and, and uh, you know, that's, that, that's heavy lifting over there. Yeah. We had 25,000 troops under our command and, uh, within my area of responsibility, I had everything from, you know, aviation and air assault operations to, um, you know, the prison at, at Bagram. Oh, yeah, the detention been there. Facility. Yeah. 
I mean, some really bad actors in there. And yeah. then there are 12 field detention sites out there. There was a prison at Kandahar. And that that whole dark underbelly of captivity oh, and yeah. interrogation and all that, it, it was, you know, nobody wanted it. So I was like, Mikey, well, I'll give it to Tater. Let him <laughs> make sure nothing goes A sacrificial wrong. lamb. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Um, and and it, this was about the time, um, you know, I'd, I'd met Brad Thor in between the Kosovo and Afghanistan okay. deployments. I had written now three books, working on a fourth in the threat series. Had gotten, you know, I hadn't really aggressively tried to, you know, find an agent, but I, I had, and and really hadn't gotten in much traction. And then, um, the, which is surprising because when I wrote my first one, Sudden Threat, and back in the mid '90s, an agent immediately scooped it up. Berkeley immediately said we're interested, and then. Um, that fell apart for some reason, unbeknownst to me. It's when I was a major in the 82nd, wow. back in the 90s. And, and uh, you know, it just kind of went away. And, you know, it was before smartphones and, you know, Most email and all that. Right. And, and so, you know, it was phone calls. Well, you know, I don't know, not sure, you know, because they were ready to give me an advance. And, and the agent was super excited. And, uh, but, you know, fast forward, now, you know, I've got this bubbling book deal. I'm redeploying from Afghanistan and I'm thinking, you know, I've done every more and everything that I ever wanted to do in the yeah. military. So, uh, when the book deal came through, that was a real catalyst for me. You know, um, I could stay for another five, 10 years in the army, you know, rack up a couple of more promotions, or I could go pursue this real passion that I have. And that's, that's what I, uh, ultimately chose to do. Right. And you think, uh, obviously you seem very happy yeah, and you're, you're yeah, knocking it out of yeah, the park and yeah. you're like, that was the right decision yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like yeah. I mean, you work for yourself. You're, I mean, you're, you're, yeah. the, you know, you're, you're, you're getting yourself down your own, you're creating your own destiny. And it's, yeah. uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's a new dynamic not to be in the protective, um, cocoon of government or right. whatever. And so it's, it's scary out there, you know, for, <laughs> you know, I, I, I have, I have always had respect for businessmen who are, you know, you know just, uh, you know, dragging woolly mammoths back to the cave every day. Right. Uh, but I have enormous newfound respect for it because, you know, when it's on your back to bring that woolly mammoth back to the cave, you got to sharpen your spear and go out there and, and get that. Oh yeah. Woolly mammoth. And I didn't think about that when I was making the transition. All I thought about was writing. I thought right. you wrote and then you sent it to New York and maybe did some edits and then they published it and you write the next one. Right. That was it. I didn't realize it was a whole other business side. Yeah. I right. had no idea that it was like a, any other small business or a startup right. and all those things you have to do, all the, the marketing and the branding and the co-branding and the advertising, uh, all that sort of thing, business plan, social media, engagement, all those things that you'd have to do if you're starting a coffee shop, you have to do as an author to build right. this, build your brand, build your foundation of readers and interact with people. Right. Um, so I didn't realize any of that until I slowly started reading it, realizing that as I got closer and closer to the actual publication date of the first one. But then once it published, I was like, wow, okay. I, I need more than a website here. Yeah. I just need more than a static website <laughs> right. that just sits up there. Yeah, I have to yeah, do right. all this other exactly. stuff. Yeah. But, uh, but, it's, but I think coming from the military, like we didn't do any of that. Right. Uh, and so I think I brought a very clear lens to it and I yeah. looked at it like an opportunity. I looked at it like uh, being on the battlefield and taking advantage of emerging opportunity. Yeah, sure. Uh, and so I do that same thing here. Uh, okay, emerging opportunity. What, what is that? Is it uh, an interview? Is it uh, doing this podcast? Is it uh, engaging with people on social right. media? What, right. what is it? Doing, putting up a blog? What, what right. is it and how do all these things fit into the broader mosaic here to, to build this thing um so I, I think that coming from a place where i didn't have a background in it at all actually ended up being very helpful yeah you've done a great job of, of it and we're all really proud of you oh thank for, you for everything you thank carved you out here i appreciate it it's uh it's fun i love it and that's the on the business side like i love learning and just, right. so I love the writing. That's my passion. But having the surprise of, oh, you have the business side to run now too. Yeah, right. uh, exactly. But being able to learn and uh, and want to do it better tomorrow than I uh, I did it today. Uh, it's right. just a part of part of how it goes. So I'm uh, I'm thoroughly enjoying every single part of this process. But uh, but I also have to be careful. I don't know if you had the same issue. Is in the military, I was all in. And now my wife was thinking that the pendulum was going to swing back towards the family, sure. which it has. Right. But at the same time, like if I don't take advantage of something or say no to something, uh, the, the, uh, I mean, it, the, the repercussions of that are not someone coming home in a bag. 
right. it's okay. I have to learn to take a breath right, right, right. and realize, hey, it's okay to take it, not always be thinking and always be pushing and always be sprinting. I can take a breath and, right. and, uh, yeah, no, you're exactly right. Uh, the, the, um, when you're all in, you're all in and, and you're, that's a, you know, the perfect uh, analogy. You know, that now no one's coming back in a body bag except for fictionally in our stories. Exactly. Right. And so I used to do a lot of my writing late at night because I felt more creative and it was really the only time that I, I could carve out, right. You know, and not feel guilty about, you know, uh, what I was doing. And so now that I'm you know, a private citizen, I, I can write more during the day when I'm also feeling creative and I, you know, I reserve family time for the evening and spend a few hours uh, right. you know, with, with uh, you know, the people I care about right. and no. my dog. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and you're still very connected though to, um, well, current events, you're out there, you're talking, you're analyzing all the time because you don't know when you can get called to go like, oh, surprise, Al Baghdadi gets killed. Who are they calling? They're calling you to yeah, go up and yeah. give your analysis of that. Uh, so you're very active, not yeah, just in writing, but you're, you're out there. I, I do two to three Fox News segments a week. Wow. Typically I've got a standing Fox or Fox business standing Thursday night deal with, um, Trish Reagan on wow. her um, Fox Business show, and you know, traditionally uh, it'll be two to three a week. Wow. And and over the last ten years, I've done about three hundred to four hundred. Uh, oh my somewhere, gosh! Somewhere in there, and it's it's a great platform, and and it's something that keeps me engaged uh, because you know they call you and they say, "Are you available to appear on Hannity tonight or whatever?" and uh, yes. Okay. Send me talking points. So you really got to get in there and lay down in, you know, five, 10 bullet points, kind of what you see. Yeah. And, and then they, they determine from there, they triage and say, well, we like Tata's viewpoint or we don't like Tata's viewpoint. And, you know, we're not, but the, the key there, and I just talked to a very good friend of mine who started doing some Fox news, a, a, a general officer from the army. Um, and, and uh, I was telling him, I said, whatever you do, always be your authentic self because you can't get on TV and try to please other people. You have to say what you believe, not just what you think, but what do you believe? And, and that will generate what you think and, and have the facts at your command. And those talking points for me are the facts of the matter. It's not, I'm not trying to defend or attack any politician. What I'm trying to do is explain the military action based on my experience to the American people. And, and wow. so that's, that's how I advised him today. Just he, wow. he randomly called me and said, Hey, I've done like four or five Fox hits. I think they like me. And I said, yeah, you know, can you help me? I'm like, you know, a, I'll help you with, uh, you know, people I know and B, you know, here's some advice, you know, cause I, 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 I had taken a picture of him on TV. He's a very good friend. And, and uh, said, "Hey, man, great job, you know." And so I, and, you know, I gave him a critique, and you know, he's like ninety percent awesome and ten percent. So a few things he could do better. As you know, I wish I could get to that ratio. I so. know you do a great <laughs> job on there. I was just watching you over the weekend, and uh, I was my wife. I'm like, "Look, there he is. He's up there." I'm like, "How does he do that?" Like, I, I don't know if I could do that. Um, but like, I got uh, that Al Baghdadi thing happened, and then all of a sudden, people uh, radio for me uh, wanted to get my take on it, and so I had a day planned for only editing. And then I'm like, oh my goodness, I've been right. like editing here for so long. I need to go back and do my research on him, his history, yeah. his family, yeah. like all that stuff it's in case two, I get a question. Two or three hour time suck. It was a lot. Yeah. Mean, it's, and I'm new, so it was more than a two to three hour time suck because I yeah. wanted to kind of overdo it and make sure right, that I was sure. going to get asked something that I right. had to answer I don't know or right. I wanted to add to the conversation. Yeah, right. And right. Uh, so I spent essentially all day right. doing that. So I lost right. a full day of editing, right. but I was very prepared for these. But these spots on the radio, they're like five minutes. 10 minutes right. and all they really want to know is uh, how it feels to go in on a mission like that and how right. it feels to come back right like they wanted to know the the feelings and emotions behind it yeah, not necessarily sure. you know strategic level stuff which i was prepared for right right, uh, right. but i wasn't i was a tactical level person obviously in the yeah, military right. and you're you were all of it so right. you can add you can talk tactical you can talk operational you can talk strategic and uh you know i can talk all those things just because i've studied it right. so much but uh obviously my practical application was at the tactical level. yeah but i mean you know you're you're a very smart guy and and so you understand understand how tactically you fit into the big strategic picture and it's all connected. So yeah. you're the perfect guy to talk about. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing to, uh, uh, 
that you can get out there and do that on a moment's notice right. and, uh, and, and still have a life and still write two books a year and all these other things. And still go to conventions like this, right. still interact with people on social media, do all those things that one needs to do. So, uh, yeah. Do you work out? I do actually. I, when do you yeah. find time to do that? You like, like <laughs> well, you and Jocko, you and Jocko yeah. are up at three thirty yeah. in the morning working out, probably. Yeah, no, not not. No, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I I like to get my seven eight hours of sleep every night. I, I um, sometimes if I have to choose between working out and taking a nap, I'll take a nap. Yeah, it's probably so, wise. Um, but um, you know, we we live in Arlington, Virginia now. I, I was in North Carolina for a long time, and uh, you know, just uh, moved up for my business to Arlington and. A few metro stops from the Pentagon, and I, I'll run about three, four days a week along um, the Potomac River on yes. one side or the other, you know, on the Virginia side or the Georgetown side, uh, D.C., and, you know, anywhere from two to eight miles and um, just try to, you know, stay in shape yeah. and keep keep fit, and, and then there's a gym in our building, and, and, and I lift and nice uh, swim. There We have a pool, and I'll swim about you know once or twice a week. So. Got it. Got and it. that's that's a good week. Hey, there are some like when we'll you're traveling it. and all of this kind of thing. Traveling is the biggest disruptor to that kind of oh yeah you know cycle that you know that rhythm that you want to be. In. Yeah, and with going into to Fox two to three four times a week, depending on what's going on, um, you physically go in. And yeah, do those. yeah. I go into the DC office, or sometimes I'll, I'll be up in New York, you know, handling okay. book stuff, or you know, I've um. My, my business, Tate Leadership Group, we have an office in New York City also. Okay. And what do you do with, with that? Yeah, it's a consulting business, and we have a software platform that helps uh, other businesses find business. And we also have a platform. Uh, we're in discussions with the Army right now to uh, help veterans find jobs. But it's, it's a, it helps anybody find a job. And so we're, we're customizing it for the military to help veterans find jobs. Because when, when you're... Um, the average like indeed or monster and all that um that's if you're applying to a job on there you're applying to 20 percent of the available jobs the other 80 percent are not posted interesting and and so our our platform gets you behind that to that um 80 plus the 20 percent. we get you into the decision makers the hiring managers the ceos and and the, and the people who actually influence decision making and and so it's a platform that's been very successful so far, and and we're you know um, preparing to scale it right now. Wow! Yeah, jeez, yeah. I'm, I'm feeling like a slacker. What's uh? <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot. <laughs> I appreciate it. Jeez, what yeah. else do you have going on? Yeah, I well, mean, you know, I got five or six clients. Uh, and, you know, the the other aspect of this business is, um, I, you know, I have clients that ask for for you know, I sit on two boards, uh, a board of directors, yep. and one board of advisors. Okay. Um, the difference being you have fiduciary responsibilities of the board of directors and, and you're just in advisory roles board of advisors okay. and um then uh, i have about five clients that um, i consult with that need access to you know uh, army leadership or right. dod or just want guidance on how to navigate um you know business development within the department of Oh, interesting. Yeah. I think I'm going to have a new client for you. We'll talk after this. Okay, though. great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure, no, absolutely. Sure. That's incredible. Yeah. Man. Yeah. And then, uh, and going forward, that's, uh, that's the plan going forward. Two yeah, books a year, continue forward. this. Yeah. Um, you know, I, at my book signing, my, uh, almost the whole of my high school baseball team was there. We won two state championships. We're nice. very proud of that. And, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, it's all about relationships, as I told earlier in, in our talk. Um, you know, these guys are like my best friends for life. And, and um, they come and they're like, Tony, you got to slow down, man. You're, you know, you, you just turned X years old. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I don't feel X. I, I feel like X yeah, minus yeah. 20, you know? And, uh, you know, I'm like, I was just surfing in California, awesome. you know, last month. And, and uh, you know, we were out there for a month and we went to California take a break from everything okay. which is sort of impossible but <laughs> yeah i finished the third reaper book out there i was nice. i was at um, you know probably 25 percent of where i needed to be yeah. and in three weeks i was at 100 percent. wow and, and i just you know eight nine hours a day yeah that's all i was doing yep. shut everything off uh -huh. and i'm in my zone and i was very happy with the way it turned out awesome so that and and that just goes shot you know i wouldn't mind shutting down all this other stuff but you know the opportunities there i feel like i'm sure. helping people and um you know it would be awesome to to really just kind of relish in the writing and and to 
I've, I've, you know, particularly every book I write, I go way vertical, way deep in the emotional response of, of, of each character and try to tease that out for, for the, for the reader. And I just know, you know, if with more time, I can be even better. Yeah. And that's, that's what I'm going for with this new St. Martin's book that, you know, will be winter 2020, early 2021. Okay. Um, uh, it's a brand new series, brand new protagonist. Okay. And I've, I've spent a lot of time crafting the background and right. the persona of this of this new protagonist and and it's really exciting I, you know on the airplane out here you know a couple hours i, I wrote two thousand words just jamming on it because i i you know you know how it is when you just know what you want to write just get right? that time it, shut i tried to do that on the flight out here but as soon as i pulled out that so i i when I get to a certain stage, I print out the manuscript, I bind it and everything. So it's, so it's I don't papers flying everywhere. Right. As soon as I put it down, the person next to me said, Oh, is that a screenplay? I said, no. <laughs> and she said, uh, Oh, my daughter's a screenwriter in LA. And then, uh, there we go. Yeah. Right. And right. The whole flight yeah, was yeah, just, yeah. You, you've got to, you know, um, cater to that. And, <laughs> and I've had people like between the seats reading what I, uh-huh. are you writing a book? And, exactly. and I'm like, yes, I'm trying to. Anyway. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. I get that big time. But, uh, and so we've been going for a while and I know you have a dinner. Yeah. But uh, thank you so much yeah, for Jack, making the time to do this. It is such an honor to sit yeah, down likewise, and talk with you. Likewise, and, yeah. um, thank you for your time and uniform, of course, and service yeah. to this great nation. Uh, you put in a lot more time same than most. Well, appreciate it. But you. Uh, you put in a lot more time than, wow, than most. It, and it, it all counts or nothing counts, right? There we go. So it all counts. There we go. And I appreciate your perspective on everything. Yeah. And thank you also for being such a good um, example on how to transition from military yeah. service into Thanks. something you're passionate about. It happens to be the same thing for both of us, right. but other people can look at that too and see just, hey, he's moving on to this other thing. And my passion is this, look, I can do it too. So right. thank you for your leadership there. Yeah. And uh, let's do this again sometime when the next yeah, book comes absolutely. out. Yeah. Uh, Thanks in, for being such a great uh, force uh, for and representative of all military um, veterans in the author community. You're a great example that uh, we all you know, connect with. So well, I appreciate that. Appreciate that. We'll do that again. And hopefully after your dinner tonight, we can meet up in the bar back yeah, here. Yeah, roger that. Awesome. Yeah. Take right, care. Zach. Thank you so yeah. much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this bonus edition of the Danger Close podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Six Hour. You can find Tony Tata at AJ Tata underscore author on Instagram and at AJ Tata on Twitter. Be sure and pick up his book, Chasing the Lion, which is out now. And if you like the conversation, be sure and leave a five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. And until the next time, stay strong out there. Be safe. Keep fighting. In case you missed it, on a recent episode of Danger Close, an Ironclad original, Jack Carr sat down with former presidential candidate Tulsi Gabbard. Set aside all the labels, mm-hmm. you know, oh, well, because I've been getting asked this a lot, like, well, are you left or are you right? Are you progressive or are you conservative? What box you... do you fit in? Which exactly, box do you check? Completely. Are you an enemy or <laughs> right. Right. An How, uh, Like, what filter should I use when I'm looking at you? And, like, I've always been an independent-minded person. Mm-hmm. Always. Be sure to check out the full interview wherever you get your podcasts.